0: To the conversation, I'm Hyle Russell, and my co-host today is a writer for Rare Gamer and a stalwart and steward of the Rare fan community, which includes his work as a deckhand for the official Sea of Thieves. <laughs> it says Mixer channel here. I'm not sure what Mixer is. I've never heard of it. Uh, This is the first time he's been co-hosting The Conversation. So please give a big, warm DK Vine welcome to Jeffren Perez.
1: Well, hello. Thank you for having me here. This is a very exciting opportunity.
0: Is it? Is it really? Uh (laughs) It really
1: is. It really is. No, it it really is. (laughs)
0: You've, you've actually, uh, called in before. You did, yeah, I think you did a little bit for us, uh, for what for I think our site's anniversary or something. But this, mm-hmm. this is your yeah. first time actually being in the co-host chair. We talked about you every now and then, but you know, yeah, you're, you're here with me in the studio, uh, you know, protective glass barricading us so we don't get our germs on each other but right right at the risk of confusion would you prefer jeffrin or jeff because i know you usually go by jeff but we have a jeff we have a jeff at home and i don't know if mom will let allow me to take you with us
1: yeah no uh it's probably safer to go with jeffrin just to avoid that (laughs) you
0: know it's spelled differently but phonetically it sounds the same and it does create some confusion like i switch back and forth all the time when I'm talking to you, I'm like, Jeffrey and Jeff, I have no consistency, yeah. and it's because we have a Jeff, and it, mm-hmm. it gets very, it, it's like uh, I'm a kindergarten teacher or something, I'm like, oh, Jeff P, right. Jeff O. Yeah, so we need a Q, a, a Jeff Q next. Right. Just keep keep ascending the elementos. So, we're going to be talking about five years of Sea of Thieves on this episode. It's been half a decade since Sea of Thieves was officially released. Of course, we, Jeff, Bryn, have been playing it for longer than that. So it's... Yeah. I, I can't even fathom that it's been this long because it doesn't feel like it has. But in some ways, it feels like it's been an eternity, given everything else that's been happening in the world since 2016. But hey, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. before we get into our fifth anniversary celebration of Sea of Thieves, I would like to plug a couple of things. So DK Vine is obviously on Patreon. I talk about this nearly every episode. It's how we keep the lights on here at DK Vine. Because look, I know Donkey Kong journalism sounds like a glamorous career path full of high finance and jet setting and, you know weekend jaunts to Monte Carlo, but it's not. It's it's uh it's it's a it's a hard scrapple life and uh our patrons help keep the dream alive. So if you enjoy the conversation, if you enjoy any of the nonsense we churn out on a daily basis here at DK Vine, please consider becoming a DK Vine patron. Uh you can find that at DKVine.com dot slash forward slash Patreon or Patreon.com forward slash DKVine. It works both ways! And, of course, we have also launched our merchandise store at TeePublic. Yes, you can find us at DKVine.com forward slash merchandise, or just search for DKVine on TeePublic. Right now, we've got a bunch of t-shirts inspired by running jokes here at DK Vine, or inspired by some of our favorite games. And... We'll be adding some other stuff, future products, along different, like, lines than just clothing. Like, we might have some magnets and some mugs. Who knows? But right now, we just have the t-shirts. So, if you would like to wear some of our nonsense on your body, please visit our merchandise store. I was just wearing my Don't Stop Till You Swap Enough shirt this morning. And, uh... I have to say, it's the stupidest thing I own. Jeffrin, sorry, I, I was like, wait, I'm not used to saying Jeffrin on this podcast. Are there any uh, rare related wares that you would like to promote now that you have the mic?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, I don't really have any specifics. No, I, you know, our our website that I write for Rare Gamer, right? Um, we we mostly just document and archive rare stuff uh our our main writer steve kind of does a, a thing with top five lists yes um, we, we know must- steve, yeah. <laughs> steve's been on this
0: show several right, times right, now right. and
1: <laughs> um but beyond that i embarrassingly have only written one thing and it was the sea of thieves review um, wow. need to need to get back to that it's just uh it's hard when there's only been one game since I joined the site.
0: Oh, but... but there,
1: I could write about Battletoads and other stuff, and I suppose maybe I should. Did, maybe this did, is my wake-up call.
0: Did you know about this new render of Brash's Cabin from off of Donkey Kong Country 3?
1: <laughs> I, I sure did see that.
0: <laughs> I wrote a whole article about it. It's uh, just amazing. Uh, it's amazing what you can find if you try hard enough. <laughs> it was just yeah, oh we need <laughs> we need content what what content well well I've I've never written about the interior of Brash's cabin from off of Donkey Kong Country three there we go boom content perfect
1: yeah no I yeah uh, I do need to, to write a little more
0: people are always wondering how the conversation is still going with it because you know <laughs> they, they they don't really grasp the full conceit of what DK Vine is and what Mm -hmm. we celebrate and what the donkey kong universe is per se so they see that there hasn't been a new full-fledged donkey kong Mm -hmm. game for Mm -hmm. almost a decade and they're like how have you done a podcast for that (laughs) long nearly weekly you know um how yeah no it's
1: it's it's impressive i mean even even with the extended dku and all of the the cameos and etc but even with all that it it's very impressive that you guys continue to go all these years. Um, I did the log cast for a little while. And, you know, even though we were the entire spectrum of rare and friends, uh, it was hard to come up with topics. Yeah. So major kudos to you guys for keeping it going.
0: I wasn't, you know, fishing for compliments or anything. No, I, I'm ju- just saying, you know, Credit I, credits do. The, the problem is, I have too much to talk about right now. Honestly, like, it's... It was just like, oh, I'm gonna have to get a 28... Or, uh, not 20th anniversary. Jeez. Fifth anniversary <laughs> episode of Sea of Thieves in there. And and there's all these other topics I want to discuss before the Super Mario Brothers movie comes out. And, mm-hmm. and then, and then, and then, and then. You've always got anniversaries. You've always got right. current events. You've always just got, hey, I want to talk about something weird like Donkey Kong's Treehouse for four hours. and and, you know so it's it's actually hard to fit everything in like there was a time when maybe finding topics was always a challenge like oh what are we going to talk about this week i don't have that Mm -hmm. problem anymore maybe it's maybe it's just a problem to have maybe it's just the brain rot has fully set in and i'm just completely (laughs) around the bend and it's if you embrace the madness then it becomes quite easy to do this job that's fair all right Today, we are going to be discussing Sea of Thieves, and like I said, Sea of Thieves is turning five years old. When this episode goes live, it will be March 20th, which will be the five-year anniversary. Sea of Thieves launched March 20th, 2018. And, you know, we, we talk about Sea of Thieves on a regular basis here in The Conversation. We do the season roundups every time a Sea of Thieves season winds down. And before that, we would do Sea of Thieves catch-ups. You know, oh, here's what's happened to Sea of Thieves in the last three to four months. And before that, we would do episodes about all of the big events, you know, that would that would mm-hmm. transpire. And, you know, so we, we've talked about Sea of Thieves quite a bit since the reveal at E3 2015. And You know, Sea of Thieves, it's been the game that has really reestablished Rare. And I know this is going to be a controversial statement among certain listeners of the conversation, but it is the truth. It is Rare's biggest hit of all time.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, I don't. I don't
0: think people can fathom that that it is indeed their biggest hit of all time. Just when when you look at the metrics, because you're like, well, what about Donkey Kong Country? What about Golden I Double O Seven? And you know, we we live in a time of pop culture fragmentation where things these days will not hit as hard as things hit. 20 to 30 years ago, because we have so much before us, so many options. There's mm-hmm. dozens of streaming services. There are multiple game consoles. There are content creators like us. Uh, they're, they're, you know, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, basically any niche fandom has an outlet, and there is just a million things to divert your attention. So there's never a zeitgeist like there used to be. So yes, it might seem like Sea of Thieves has never conquered the the popular imagination the same way that those games they did for Nintendo did back in the day. But just financially, lucratively, what they've built is, in fact, their most successful game of all time. So yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Reality hurts sometimes. (laughs) I still
0: love Donkey Kong Country, obviously. I still love Banjo-Kazooie. I love all of that. I'm never not going to love it. I'm never not going to champion it. But it is the truth, so. Yeah. And living as we did, and as Rare fans for, oh, I don't know, 15 plus years as part of Microsoft, then Xbox Studios... You know, it's been a struggle. It it's been a struggle to be a Rare fan during yeah. that time and to stay true to that, to to keep the optimism alive in the face mm-hmm. of the critical and popular denigration that that Rare was facing. Because, you know, from Grab by the Ghoulies onward, Rare kept failing to find an audience on the Xbox. Obviously, they 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 you know. I've had a few who might come around and be like, oh, I really like this game. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I, I, I'm not discounting anybody's... If you are a Grab by the Ghoulies fan who found Rare via Grab by the Ghoulies and you're like, I loved Grab by the Ghoulies from the start. Well, where have you been? Talk to me because I want yeah. to hear your story. But I
1: want to I know this person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they really, I think, struggle to find their own niche on the xbox because they came mm-hmm. from developing for nintendo since 1994 and the xbox audience was sort of different you know it was halo and they they had successes minor successes along the way like viva pinata which we right. did, did well enough but it was mm-hmm. still i think a pale shadow compared to what they did during the Nintendo years, it it just never really caught on the way they were hoping it would catch on. It was enough right. to have several games and and tie in media, but I it never became like Xbox's Pokemon or or Digimon or whatever. Yeah. Um. And then of course it you know the bottom fell out, and there was the Kinect Sports era, which. Again, probably gave us the best of the uh, motion sports genre. You know, that that was all the rage at the time. I would argue those games probably stand head and shoulders above all of the others. Maybe not as much as accessibility goes. Obviously, Impact, you know, Wii Sports is still going to be the king. But Mm -hmm. those games were quality for what they were. You just couldn't really escape the feeling that something was lacking that the soul of rare, the the spark that made us all rare fans had kind of been snuffed out a little bit during that mm-hmm. time. And yeah. the the future of the studio, hell the future of Manor Park was in question at the time. You know, they were they were moving to Birmingham and they they were you know gonna become yeah. this uh this sort of city based uh almost like a tech startup rather than this long tenured legacy studio out in the english midland countryside you know it's it, yeah it, 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 was,
1: it was a tough time to be a rare fan you know it, just, def- it definitely it was, yeah it yeah. was hard
0: and again i'm i, I don't want to like speak too harshly on the connect sports games no. they they were good for what they were it just
1: it, and that's yeah that's how i feel too yep. yeah
0: yeah yeah and yeah I, I think a lot of us were kind of just resigned to this notion especially once 2014 hit that, Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, rare might not be around for too much longer. Rare might not be the same rare that we fell in love with. And we, we were sort of going through that grieving process a little bit. It it really did Mm -hmm. start that year where, you know, they, they had the the layoffs and it was just, uh, just, just a shitty time, shitty time to be a rare fan. And We thought, well, this is it. And I I remember having a big like rallying speech here in the conversation. It's like, you know, so long Mm -hmm. as Rare fans still exist, we can keep the spirit alive ourselves. You know, if that's what we need to do, so be it. And then, you know, you started to hear rumors that they were working on something and they started acting fishy on social media. They were giving away all of the connect sports era branded like rare tote bags and stuff. They were, mm-hmm. they were just like clearing out all of this old iconography that would no longer apply in the coming weeks and we were like, "Oh, why are you giving away the Connect Sports era rare logo that nobody likes? What what what's <laughs> going on here? Like, why are you giving away all this merchandise with that ugly ugly logo?" And and we started to hear whispers that they would be showing off something at E3 2015. Hmm. Now, DK Vine got got wind of this from some inside sources and we were basically told, "Hey, if you weren't planning on being at E3, you should probably go to E3. Now, we had never been to E3 prior to this. so We are like, oh, my God, this is probably going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. We need to actually move heaven and earth to get to E3. And this was relatively close to E3, too. So we didn't have a lot of time to book travel plans, uh, make accommodations. So it was all like a ramshackle, last-minute, oh, my God, we're going to E3, I guess, And not the way you want to actually plan your first E3, but we got our foot in the door. We got there. And of course, because we got word of this ahead of time, we thought, obviously, given who we are, given what DK Vine has been about for, you know, up until that point, the last, what, 16 years, we thought, oh, it's going to be, banjo kazooie so mm. you know in, in our heads we were like oh they're going to reveal a new banjo kazooie game at e3 2015 which is a silly notion because i've been this i mean it it had been what seven years since nuts and bolts so mm-hmm. that that doesn't sound like a long time now but back then you know it it felt like a long time and so we thought Oh oh yeah it's it's going to be a uh, a more traditional Banjo-Kazooie platform but like as if that would be the big thing that Rare would be working on that would like revitalize the studio and the brand I mean that's just our very limited thinking at the time we we couldn't mm-hmm. imagine a new IP that would have appeal to us and would also sort of relight the fires of rare as a, as a studio as as a brand as an influencer and i remember sitting there um during the big xbox presentation for e3 2015 sitting in in the dark theater it wasn't a microsoft theater i think it was on the um the university the US, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yep, to
1: basketball arena
0: yeah and we we saw that the because because you could see the little uh, um, there's like closed captioning um up up mm, on the yeah. Um, yeah up on the wall that's that's also serves, I guess, as a teleprompter for those on stage who can't remember their lines, but <laughs> we saw when uh, Craig Duncan came out to reveal rare replay, which was a huge you know, right. deal at the time as well, very emotional, but then we saw that the word "Athena" popped up. And we, we were like, Athena, what, what is, what is Athena? Is this going to be some sort of game sent in ancient Greece? Like what, right. what Athena? And, uh, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, yeah, it might still be Banjo Kazooie. It could, could just be a <laughs> code name for Banjo Kazooie that well, we, we can't make the connections here, but well, let's see the trailer. And, and the trailer started, you know, first person, you're, they're walking through a, a jungle and you're like, this looks Cool, but it's definitely not banjo, mm-hmm. and so that immediate disappointment sort of falls over you a little bit. Oh. Like, oh, like, oh, what is this? And uh, you're still intrigued because it's it's holding your attention, especially because it's it's you know while you're walking through a jungle and there's parrots flying from the trees, and uh, there's there's a, a skeleton pinned to. A tree with a sword and um, and then you hear the uh I I was a cannon fire and then a bell I think it's
1: cannon fire yeah yeah yeah.
0: and then the bell ringing and then they're running down to the shore and there is a galleon Mm -hmm. And, and immediately it all clicks you're like oh my god Rare's making a pirate game and at that moment I was just completely on board um because, of course, it was rare that made me a fan of pirates. And I'm sure we have very different relations to uh, to pirates and pirate fiction, given mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of pirates until Donkey Kong Country 2. Because uh, oh. for me, pirates were I, – I just could never wrap my head around pirate literature, pirate movies – Mm-hmm. Be- because they they were just a bunch of dirty people wearing frilly, uncomfortable shirts sailing around like hey, it's like, ew, ew. Like what? Wh- why do I care? What is in it for me? And it wasn't as Donkey Kong Country Two really showed me that. Oh, pirates can be this or they can be that. It- it's it's not just necessarily the the pirate stuff that's kind of pushed towards you when you're a mm-hmm. kid. Uh Treasure Island or Peter right. Pan now you being a lifelong Disney <laughs> fan, I'm sure you were much more on board with pirates even before I was
1: yeah, no, I even more so than just being a Disney fan like um my stepdad when I was growing up he was he was really into pirates, and so he okay. kind of instilled that into my siblings and I and 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 me and um so he showed us Treasure Island you know when I was probably seven or eight um you know and then donkey kong country came out when i was eight and that ended on the gangplank galleon which was piratey um you know and then obviously dkc2 but uh you know around that time muppet treasure island was out again disney peter pan all of those things and then the biggest thing was every year for halloween my family would decorate our house like a haunted pirate ship oh it started what started small? Yeah. I, I gotta send you a video because yes, I gotta, it's, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, no, so starting, it was like Halloween of 97, maybe. Um, it was really cold that year or it was raining and cold. And so we, uh, our, our house had, it was built in the forties and had a, a foyer, a sitting room. And so we, we kind of decorated that as like a little captain's cabin or something and, and put some decorations out front and we'd had. The trick-or-treaters kind of come in, and it was just this little display. And each year it kind of got bigger and bigger, and eventually it took over uh, the entire first floor of our house as a, as a walk-through attraction. Um, we had a bay window, so that kind of worked as the front of the ship. Um, so we, we built – initially it was sheets and black lights, and, uh, and we built a bow and a mast on the front of our house, um, probably about 15 feet tall. And then eventually upgraded that to wood and had a full uh, helm and all that stuff. Um, and it was a little mixture of like a maybe a, a port town with uh, like brick wall decorations that you would see um, in, in party stores uh, in our in our foyer. And then our living room would be the actual galley in itself. And you'd walk out the back door and around the side of the house. And I mean, we just kept plussing it every year. And so at one point. My brother and I uh, made a cannon that would flash light in reaction to the sound of a cannon fire playing over a speaker. Um, we got a projector and we could project ghosts on screens that in the dark, you would it just looked like a floating ghost in the backyard. Um, and fog machines and those little cliche Halloween decorations from the 90s that would make the little... And right, anyway, that, right. No, <laughs> you know what I, I'm talking about right. I I, I do because uh, I also, classic.
0: when I was a kid, redid my parents' house as a haunted house, but it was just a house so nice. you're really showing me up here because, <laughs> uh, and, and plus, I you know, I was the only child and I pretty much just did okay. it myself, and I was lacking a lot in technical know how, so it, it was just. <laughs> You know, oh, I'm going to get decorations from the store and add to it every year. Yeah. And, but there would be a logic to everything, right? You can imagine okay. how my brain works. So there had <laughs> to be a reason for everything and there had right. to be lore behind it. And, you know, oh, OK, so maybe a mad scientist is hiding in this haunted house to hide from the authorities because of of the the crime's against nature he is committing you know he, he's doing a lot of uh illegal research and so he's he's set up in the basement and that's creating all of these frankenstein monsters and you know but um yeah you i i have to see videos of this because this sounds yeah. amazing
1: yeah I'll, uh, I'll make sure to get that to you no it was it was great and we had we had hardwood hardwood floors and that was i think that was originally why we decided pirates anyway was like oh this is kind of like a ship deck yeah. Um, but it, it was much more of a mishmash and didn't have a coherent story. Um, like my mom would dress up kind of as a, a wench, I guess, you know, as you'd call it, sure. but she was a fortune teller. So she had her sure. potions and crystal ball and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, my stepdad and I and my brother would dress up as, as pirates. We were the crew. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun for first few years we did it. I was a, uh, a head on a table. So I just, <laughs> sit in the corner of the room they put cobwebs over me so it you know didn't quite look real and do like face makeup to where it kind of maybe could have been just a you know a plastic or or whatever mold um and then i would scare the kids or or their parents yeah know, just say happy halloween or something but no it was it was a great time um yeah i'll definitely share that out
0: yeah my uh My senior year of high school I worked in a Spencer Gifts in the mall and uh, Mm -hmm. so what I ended up doing was dressing up as a zombie Um, and uh, they put a price tag on me as if I was an animatronic because this is before Spirit Halloween really took off and was in Mm -hmm. every town so uh, a lot of people came to the Spencer Gifts to get Halloween decor and costumes so I would do this very like uh, stilted animatronic back and forth movement when mm-hmm. people would go near and then I would lunge at them. And nice. uh, yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was great fun. I'm surprised I didn't ended up get attacked or shot or yeah. something, but I wouldn't do it <laughs> nowadays. But you know, no. as, as a, as a teenager, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, my, my dream ultimately isn't, I mean, it's one of my many dreams, but I would love one day to actually run some sort of haunted house attraction. And, you know, really Mm -hmm. invest in that. And and a pirate theme, that would be really cool, because as I said, you know, it was Rare, it was Greg Mail's influence Mm -hmm. that made me a fan of Pirates, and so specifically when I say I'm a fan of Pirates, it's mostly through the prism of Rare, and and what they brought to the, the genre, and so I'm a fan of Rare Pirates, so to have an entire game about Rare Pirates, which, you know, even at that E3 even at that reveal we were already thinking well this is going to be in their shared universe this is going to be DKU right. there's no question about it
1: Right why wouldn't it be yes
0: yeah so basically a game that explores the history of piracy in rare shared universe which it ultimately you know turned out to be the case but um you now it was just thrilling and it, it was amazing how we wa- you know walked in hoping for banjo kazooie and then we didn't even think about banjo kazooie for the rest of the week (laughs) except you know through rare replay and stuff right and that started you know a whole new like era the i mean that really kicked off the Mm -hmm. renaissance era, as we call it here at dk vine and from E3 2015 to May 2016 speculating about Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves <laughs> became our most hyped watched game. You know, like, oh, ooh, I can't wait for Sea of Thieves. And this was also around the time of Ukulele, too. So it was right. It was a special time for, for the Rare fandom. And getting to go to Rare in May 2016. Now, Jeffren, this is actually mm. where you and I first met.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, we uh, we were on the rare trip together. Among the was it thirteen? It, it was thirteen. If you include my wife, she yes, came along. I do, so <laughs> it was thirteen. Um, it was. So yeah, we 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 got to go to rare. We got to visit Manor Park, and I mean that that whole trip was surreal. And we've talked mm-hmm. about it at l- length here in the conversation. <laughs> so I'm not going to really go over the details again, but. I have to ask, uh, wh- when you were there, Jeffren, mm-hmm. so we both played the, wh- what we call the Sea of Thieves prototype build, the build of the yes. game running in Unity, Um, be- the one that they really test out ideas before they implement it in Unreal, which is the commercial build that we all play on our Xboxes mm-hmm. or on Steam, and... I have to ask, because I can talk, a, we're, we're under NDA still for a lot of the stuff we saw, but because Greg Mails shared this on social media, mm-hmm. I can at least talk about this aspect of it. Did you experience TT in the Unity build, and can you describe the glory of TT in Sea of Thieves for uh, anyone listening who is interested?
1: Well, first off, unfortunately, no, I did not. Oh! Um, yeah, I was so disappointed. Eh, let, not disappointed. I was I was sad that we didn't cuz after we got out of our session, um I think it was Amir or maybe it was you who <laughs> mentioned that they ran into uh TT in the tavern and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, "No, we didn't even we didn't even see a tavern when I played the unity build." Um, which is a bummer. I uh, I was in the crew that saw something else that is still under NDA. One of the few things from the unity build that is not in the main game. Oh, so. I, saw,
0: I I think I know what you're talking about. We'll we'll just compare notes after, but <laughs> yeah, no, me I mean TT T. was basically um what we would now call a ship trinket, where you you can um pick up TT, T., you can hang him on the wall. He's a real working clock within the game, and it was it was uh it was spectacular, and I. I I really, really, really need TT on my ship, the Dreadfully Evil. But yeah, I I just wanted to see if if you saw... Because I feel... I wish I had. I feel like people think I'm crazy. Even (laughs) though Greg Mails has shared a picture of it... Right. I still feel like people, even people at Rare, think I'm crazy. (laughs) And I'm like, I wouldn't be on about this every week for the last five years... Hell, I mean,
1: maybe seven.
0: No, well, privately. <laughs> well, since for he shared it. Yeah, but he shared it. Yeah, yeah. He right. it, yeah, it. yeah. So uh, he, he shared it right before Sea of Thieves launched, which allowed right. me to finally get into it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be on about this as much as I am if they hadn't put the idea in my head in the first place. Like, why would I be arguing about TT and Sea of Thieves if they didn't put TT and Sea of Thieves? Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's such a such a tease, such a tease.
0: Oh, uh, so, anyway, yeah, obviously we can't talk a lot about what we saw on that trip that isn't in the right. game itself, but what were your first impressions playing the game at Rare? Because what we basically ended up playing was the E3 2016 build, the, the same right. show floor build they would take to E3 that year. What what did you think first playing the game? Obviously, some of our reactions were captured for the trailer that played that year at E three. But I mean, b- beyond just the what what they clipped for us, where you you right. you wanted to claim the captain's cabin for yourself, and I <laughs> was right. telling people to shut up. Uh, what what did you think when you first played it?
1: Um, since we we played that version first, and then the Unity build. Yeah. So my my very very first impression on that. Um, was just how much potential it had. Um, Mm -hmm. Seeing how each mechanic made the ship go, uh, where you had to work as a team to raise the anchor, and that doing it together as a team raised it faster, and same with the sails, needing somebody to navigate for you because we didn't know about the courtesy curl, for example. (laughs) Um, You know, just all those different things. Uh, I could see a lot of potential, especially as a cooperative, you know, yeah adventure game and and so i was i was really excited and then again like he's you know after we played the prototype and saying okay once all these things are in that version this is going to be the greatest game rare's ever made and that's that's where i i felt coming out of that trip was just like oh my god this is something special this is this is the next lightning in the bottle after all these years um which you know honestly has proven true and like you said the the market is so saturated, it's hard for it to be the thing everybody's talking about. Those, those things do occur. They still happen. They're just much harder to, to achieve and to get to. And maintain, Um, like, I I, maintain, yeah. I think,
0: like, the last time we've really had that in pop culture was probably around Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. Mm -hmm. And then once that over now, people are just like turning on the MCU or they're sick of it, or it's, it's, I mean, it's still got its fans, obviously, but it's not the thing anymore because people have already moved on. Of course, the pandemic was one of those big, like, culture resetting moments, too, where it's just like, oh, things are different now because we've had this big traumatic event in in uh the global community but um yeah i mean it, it is hard to achieve that same level anymore and yeah i mean i i remember you mentioned the cooperative element and that was what really grabbed me because you know mm-hmm. you see the trailer at e3 2015 and you're like oh that's gonna be cool but you don't realize the feeling when you play it of bonding with your crew because we we were put right. into groups of four we we were all um, operating galleons. Like there, there were no sloops in this build and there were no brigantines in the game yet. And I don't even know if the sloops were in the game yet or if it was just like we're going to be no, adding them uh, eventually. But we had to like f- figure out how to operate this galleon and mm-hmm. just ev- everybody like gravitating to the roles, and, you know, when it would take damage, it'd be like, oh, I, I will bail I will patch Mm. and figuring that out together. And, you know, most of us were strangers. We, we, we might've known each other, well, obviously you knew your wife and I you know I I, had, <laughs> I yeah I I, had Chad there and we'd been working together for over a decade at that point. And mm-hmm. so but most people didn't know each other. We were just thrown in these groups and we befriended each other quickly and we had a great mm-hmm. time. And I was like, this is the best time I've had in a cooperative gaming experience since playing Donkey Kong Country. Um because Donkey Kong Country's two player team. Obviously, it wasn't simultaneous gameplay. You know, you took turns, but it was still you're working together to achieve something. And there are so few really wonderful co-op games, even to this day. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. most most of gaming is still geared towards PvP, like let's fight each other. And one of Rare's most notable games is GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, and you know the whole the whole draw of that in the multiplayer is pew pew, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And that's just not really what my thing is, you know, fighting games, all of that. I like working with people. I like team. Uh, yeah, we're we're very similar. I mean, we we've, we've sailed yeah. several times oh, yeah. together since the game has launched, and we we are very similar in what draws us to games and partially it's because life is so combative the world is so fraught right. that when i'm playing a video game i want to escape to something better <laughs> exactly <laughs> even, no, even, that's exactly even, yeah. it even if something briefly like somebody the other day i said oh you you know you uh your your whole job is with video games right like nobody understands what i do but they're like, you're just like yeah it's like oh you, you ever played dead space and i'm like <laughs> no, like why, why like nope. <laughs> I I know like you don't know that I'm a Donkey Kong journalist and even if I told you that you won't understand what it is but like that's just completely the opposite of what I try to get out of video games, right? Like for me video right. games are escaping to something wonderful or at least a universe that I enjoy visiting and uh, a universe where things are trying to kill me, like scary things are trying to kill me it's not my idea of a good time and yeah. fighting other people. And I know there's a lot of fighting other people in Sea of Thieves, but generally the core conceit especially when you're on a galleon crew is hey, I have three other people watching my back. Mm-hmm. And there there is a joy in that, you know.
1: Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm the same way and I I feel the same way with like even movies and TV shows. Like I'd rather watch a goofy comedy mm-hmm. than, you know, some serious dramatic just post-apocalyptic generic whatever like i just i I need the escapism and i do play a little bit of pvp you know a little call of duty here and there a little halo so i do i do branch out from rare from time to time but i just i don't know i don't enjoy it as much and and i I get mad and so (laughs) i'll just you know i do it to let off some steam maybe after a long day at work or something and then i jump into my you know i'll go sail in the seas for a little bit or i'll play a lot of city skylines
0: i, I don't know it, it's it's funny because sea of thieves is not like a place e- even like jumping in solo can be unnerving for me mm-hmm. for me oh, yeah. like i i very rarely jump in by myself on on a sloop um and since Captain Sea has launched i don't think i've i've played the game at all not on my galleon but it's yeah, it is creepy uh, when when you're by yourself because your mind starts playing tricks on you. You start you start jumping at shadows, every little noise. You're like somebody, somebody's on my ship, somebody's on my ship. Yeah. Uh, and really, when when the game launched, I remember there was a review where somebody said sailing by yourself in Sea of Thieves is the most unnerving experience. And yeah. even even though like I didn't agree with a lot of what that review was saying, I still agreed with that sentiment because it was like, yeah yeah it's it's not for me i eventually got over my fear of it but it's still not my mm-hmm. preferred way to play when everything mm-hmm. is especially i don't even know like i I remember sailing around when the only thing that could get you was the kraken this is before there were right. skelly ships and uh, megalodons even before and, the
1: megalodons yeah
0: yeah yeah so it's um it's, it's it's even uh, zanier now to to try to make it by yourself. But well, people do people people do. Yeah, like I go on and on about how, how Thief- I play it. I I know I go on and on about how Sea of Thieves is just this wonderful co op experience, and that's how I perceive it. But for a lot of people, it's just a solo game. And um, yeah, now we we obviously like were of similar minds. Playing the game at Rare May twenty sixteen, and it was so hard. Because I wanted to sing the game's praises right, everywhere. Yeah. And we, we had to keep quiet for a few weeks until E3. And then we could start talking about the trip at the very least and give our first impressions. We couldn't go into specifics, but we we had, you know, baseline of things we could talk about. And I I was just like, people have no idea. I remember browsing the DK Vine forum like at night at the rare trip and you know Mm -hmm. seeing like just general disinterest in sea of thieves and i'm like i don't feel like people understand i know it doesn't have a recognizable animal mascot character helming it but i don't think Mm -hmm. people understand the potential that this game has and how Mm -hmm. it actually feels when you play it and uh i i so i i was like ecstatic once the technical alpha launched and we could play the game on these like set weekends you know oh you know you'll be able to play the game from this time to this time on this day and you know you're like oh we'll drop everything we got to play sea of thieves today and that was that was always a special thing. And then you would see the little things they would add. I remember when they added skellies to the technical alpha. Yeah. That was yeah. this huge moment. Oh my god. Oh my god. There are things that will attack you.
1: Yeah. You can actually you can actually do something more than just find another ship. Or yeah, dig up,
0: it. dig up chest. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but of course, we, we, we were pretty to what they were planning for the game. So I think mm-hmm. how like bare basics it was during the technical alpha. And even at launch, we were always like, well, we know there is mm-hmm. much, much, much more to come. And that was the frustrating thing of the launch because, yeah, the, the whole no man's sea running joke where Sea of Thieves has no content. What do you do in this game? You just sail around to these islands and and things, skeletons might attack you and you dig up chests and you might uh, find another crew and you might, you know, engage in cannon fire with them, but what do you do? There's no content. There there's no objective other than getting more gold and earning cosmetics. And it was, it was a frustrating time because I really liked the game at launch. I was like, you know, it, it, it was fun. It was satisfying. It was enjoyable getting to have this shared world experience with my friends from around the world and really get to inhabit Rare's world. It, it was like a dream come true in that regard. But I also have the benefit of knowledge, as did you. About mm-hmm. what was down the road, what was coming, and right. this was just sort of the ground floor of a uh, of something that would eventually ascend to the clouds, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, but we couldn't tell anybody the details because right. <laughs> we were under NDA, and it, so it just it made us come across when I, you know, I I don't know if you had this problem, Jeffren, but running DK Vine, people accused us of just being paid chills because yeah. oh rare and microsoft flew you out to rare and so of course you're going to talk highly about this game mm-hmm. you don't actually like it come on tell us what you really think of sea of thieves right and it was just like oh come on
1: <laughs> yeah i didn't deal with that too much but i i saw it in the community for sure you know or not in the community but in the game the gaming eye you know it just it was so hard knowing Pretty much, I mean, really breaking it down, like everything that was an anniversary update, so and and in between, almost all of that was in the prototype. You know, with there, there was new things outside of that, like the Megalodons, obviously, were not in the prototype that we played. But like, yeah, it was just it was hard knowing future mechanics, future. Ideas, other things, the whole barrel inventory system wasn't there at launch, and that was in the prototype build, and and different things like that, where it's like, oh, I know what they're gonna do, or I know what they, I know what they're thinking, right? And yeah, it, it was hard, you know. It, and it was one of those things where it's like you want it out early so you can get the feedback and, and make decisions on what actual real players want. And I think if if there's any sort of misstep, it was that they launched it as a full sixty dollar game and not a, a thirty dollar early access or a you know, kept kept the the betas going maybe a little longer. But you know, people were clamoring for a release date for like a year at that point and people were claiming it was delayed, but they'd never announced when it was coming out, and there was misspoken statements from marketing at Xbox and it, it was a little bit of a mess, but not yeah. Hugely so. But yeah.
0: Well, and also, and I've never had this confirmed, this is just conjecture on my part, but I feel like they wanted a big new killer app to coincide with the launch of Game Pass. and And so Sea of Thieves was basically ready to go. Right. And, And maybe they didn't have as many features as they would have liked to have had at launch, but hey, we've got this robust game that plays well. It's 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 basically ready to go. Like we can add to it as it goes along. So those early reviews, they hurt the perception at first, and, yeah. and obviously it did find an audience early mm-hmm. on. And of course, a lot of longtime Rare fans got on board. But it, it it was just like, oh, are are we really going through all of this again? After all of this, are we <laughs> really <Yeah. laughs> going to have another situation where Rare fails to find their footing? on the xbox i mean this has been the the story for you know over 15 years at this point mm-hmm. and it's it like like we said it was it was frustrating for us because we knew where they were going with everything we never had right. a living rare game like this before right so yeah. it, it was just like well yeah this isn't the whole game this is just the start and, and you mentioned, like, what was in the um, Unity build, but also we saw concept art. We saw... Right, yeah, uh, that's true, we, too. Like, we, we saw, like, uh, clips of things there. We, we had, like, design meetings with the team where they told us what mm-hmm. they were planning. Right. So all of this accumulated knowledge was in our heads of what would end up being pretty much the next three years of the game. Mm-hmm. No, even longer, because captaincy... We saw a lot of captaincy yeah, in yeah. those that, that early build. And you know, it, it just now finally catching up, really. So yeah, yeah I mean it, it was what it was, but I think the notion really started turning around by maybe summer of that year when I, I streamers, like big time streamers, started playing the game, picking it mm-hmm. up, and I think they started showing off the fun that could be had with it. Yeah. And you know i unfortunately for us that the two of us this fun usually amounted to pvp for them so i feel like in some ways that that sort of um picking up success in the eyes of the broader gaming world started to change some of the culture around the fandom of the game mm-hmm. and like n- not not so much with the established rare fans the dku fans etc but Definitely a lot of people then came in a sea of thieves at that point with the uh, kill them all mentality like, oh, you know, I'm going I'm to mess with people. I'm going to lurk on their ship. I'm going to you know, double gun them and uh you know that's fine if that's how you want to play the game there's no wrong way to play sea of thieves unless you're outright cheating or you know shouting slurs or something then you know you're banned by yeah. but th- this whole it's not sea of friends mentality really kicked in around this time and it was it was a double edged sword or or cutlass because yeah the game all of a sudden found popularity and it started to turn the tide other other uh seafaring pun. Uh it it started <laughs> to uh it started to sort of rebound from that early critical slagging and it started to find its crowd and it started to become popular on Twitch. And that that was great, but it was basically the end of me as a potential Sea of Thieves content creator because anything I did wasn't what people were looking for when it came to Sea of Thieves content, which was very Player versus player oriented, very. I am going to ruthlessly slaughter this entire crew. Look at how much of a badass I am. And, and, and I just want to go around and look at the pretty plants on the islands and soak in the lore and, and have a lot of silly merriment with my friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't bring the eyeballs on Twitch or, or drive engagement on, on any other channels. So, yeah, it, it's, Th- that kind of sucked as like an early champion of the game to sort of then have the game take off without me <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, you
1: know? uh, totally. And
0: <laughs> of course, we've still embraced it here at DK Vine. We we still religiously play it every week. I adore Sea of Thieves. It's my number two favorite game of all time after Donkey Kong Country 2. But yeah, it, it was just like, well, I'm, I'm never going to be a big time Sea of Thieves content creator. It is what it is. No, it has served the overall narratives of the game in, in, in a way because our view, the, the way we like to play the game, is very much in line with the Pirate Lord and now the Guardians of Fortune. And mm-hmm. the way that the big-time streamers like to play the game is is in line with the Captain Flameheart, Servants of the Flame mm-hmm. mentality. So that dichotomy, that kind of split, is actually inherent is actually fundamental to the game's ongoing lore. So, that's pretty cool. Like I yeah. I do like that. It's just uh it feels like a lot of times the the flame art mentality sort of wins out on the online discourse when it comes to the game.
1: It it does feel like that most of the time to me as well, but I will say when, <laughs> when the fight to save Golden Sands came to pass, uh, it was pretty split down the middle. So I, you know, I was really glad to see that it wasn't just overwhelmingly Flame Heart because I kind of expected that going into mm-hmm. that event. Um, you know, when we did the second event between Merrick and, and Flame Heart, I think it just seemed like too cool of a villain to just write off. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it, the people who normally would side <laughs> with Pendragon or you know the the good side quote unquote uh may have just voted the other way just for the sake of being curious to see how that would play out um and I can understand that but I still I still was team Pendragon um but no you're right I you know and I I struggled the same as you did when that shift kind of happened with the, the the popularity on Twitch where you know I had initially set out to make content for this game as well I'd wanted to do machinima type stuff and and I'd written a bunch of little skits and unfortunately when the game launched and and really still there wasn't quite enough tools to do it in a way that would have been sustainable or manageable. Yeah. Um you know, I before I don't remember when they added the update where your character's mouth moves when you talk. Mm. Before that it would have been a, a little static and just, you know, st- I guess if you think of red versus blue that you can't see their mouths in that if you're familiar with the Halo machinima that kinda what's halo the trend. I don't know
0: I already mentioned Halo. I can't play dumb there.
1: <laughs> there's two different sea of thieves sets for it now too
0: sometimes sometimes my level of Kaifei breaks down when I contradict <laughs> myself on the same podcast
1: uh you you just have the memory of a Royston but uh. <laughs> no so i you know i wanted to do that there wasn't camera controls and there wasn't a way to manage ai spawns and it just made it Mm. too hard but it would have been fun i think maybe still could do it down the road
0: our our friend and fellow content creator uh deadeye dre has popped into our live stream chat and they they say uh i feel that the the shift started to happen around the first anniversary the anniversary update and, and i i think it was a it was kind of a gradual thing but i remember summer of 2018 is when it really okay started to take off and i remember hearing people at um from rare at e3 talk talking oh. about like how cool is it that like all these, these big time streamers have picked us up and you could kind of sense the excitement around them And it was just like, oh, I guess you don't need me anymore. Shocks.
1: Yeah. No, (laughs) I I felt like it was around Shrouded Spoils. And then because that was December 2018. And I feel like uh, a certain streamer picked it up in January right after that. Uh, And that was to me when it kind of started getting bigger. So I think all three of us are kind of seeing different moments and kind of it like you said it was journey. gradual between yeah, yeah. yeah started in summer of 18 really started to pick up steam and then by summer of 2019 it really had established itself as a, a you know a, a well-known mainstay and, which is great for it but like you said like i said it just kind of felt like we were left behind um it it felt like they i lost my you know my it felt close to me like i owned it and then it felt like oh it's it's been set free into the greater world and even though yeah. you know i was just a fan like you but i felt a little bit of ownership
0: on it you know Maybe. it's i'm gonna hit you with the beatles uh metaphor here uh sorry uh it's like when the <laughs> beatles be <laughs> it's like when the beatles left liverpool and the their fans at the cavern were uh, yeah. a little upset and hurt because yeah like ultimately you know you 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 want them to be able to grow to the point where they're making things like Revolver and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and the White Album. But, you know, you're you're always going to feel that ownership. And you're like, well, what's wrong with just being on stage here in Liverpool singing Long Tall Sally? Like, uh, right. So, yeah, there, there's a little bit of that. But ultimately, I'm happy for the game taking off as much as it right. is. And Mumbling Tom in our live stream says, I was shocked Merrick won Golden Sands event, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that was – everybody really was kind of surprised in our neck of the woods that we saved Golden Sands Outpost. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. we were just walking in with like the most um, cynical expectations. And I know like yeah. Jeff Onan, uh, why I have to keep calling you Jeff He, he and Dre, they run Golden Sands blog post, and so there was a lot of like pride, and we've got to keep their namesake alive. And Jeff was also sick during that time, so he didn't even really get to experience the event at his full capacity. And so it it was just kind of a miserable event. I, I love the event, but it just Mm -hmm. there was this pallor over everything. And when we actually pulled it off, we were like, "What? <laughs> Wait, what?"
1: Yeah, and it seemed so much harder to get points or however that system worked as that team. It just seemed a little bit easier as the other side. So I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. It's always uh,
0: easier to tear down than it is to create. Yeah. So
1: yes, it is.
0: Uh, But yeah, I mean, as much as I kind of feel like Sea of Thieves has just so much grown beyond the little rare fan community that, you know, has kept the torch alive since Mm -hmm. 2002, um, it's a great feeling. It it, it is kind of awesome to see the game. Like we said, nothing's ever going to be, you know, dominating the zeitgeist like it was back when we were kids. But I I mentioned before how I was in traffic one day and I saw somebody with a giant Reaper's Mark, uh, like (laughs) bumper sticker on the back of their car. Like it it was huge. And I'm just like, am I seeing this? Like what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it would be like me driving and seeing that render of Donkey Kong's ass on on somebody's. (laughs) (laughs) I would just be like, wait, who are you? Uh, Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome. It's awesome to walk into a bookstore and see, you know, Chris Alcock's book all on the mm-hmm. shelf, you know, completely unprompted. It, it's uh, it, it's really cool, you know, and I'm not upset how things went. It's just yeah. uh, it, it was just surprising because I don't think I expected it to take off and take off in the way that it did. And for the way I play the game to not be the way the public really likes to play the game. But that's right. okay. That's okay. You know, we, we mentioned how things started to turn around for the game around summer of 2018. And that really was when they launched their first big event, which was Hungering Deep. And from there, we had a steady stream of events and then Tall Tales and now adventures. And of course, we have the season structure where we just have new stuff coming to the game on a regular schedule like clockwork or maybe not clockwork so much, but it's, you know, anticipated. And so I was wondering, you know, looking at the five year mark, what have been some of our favorite events or tall tales or adventures? And for me, it's still hungering deep, weirdly enough. That's not to say I hmm. haven't liked everything that has come since Hungering Deep. Well, maybe not everything, but most things that have come since Hungering Deep. I know it's not the best, and I know it was pretty rudimentary when it, when it came out, but it was an amazing experience for mm-hmm. me. Uh, it was made all the more so considering how ridiculous it went for my crew. It was this infamous 8-hour ordeal where where we we uh we, we kept getting griefed we, you know pe- people were mm-hmm. trying to prevent us from doing it and it it became this like wild just cacophony of chaos and for me though that's really where the possibilities of the game started to come alive for the very first time like all the stuff that we had dreamed about at rare it- Uh, In May 2016 really started to manifest while playing the Hungry and Deep and I was like wow this game is very versatile like you can pretty much do anything you can add any update to this game and it feels like a completely fresh experience and so, yeah, like, I of course, I've really loved, like, the original Tall Tales and the Pirate's Life and uh, several of the adventures since then, but I don't think anything will be quite as special as The Hungry Deep, just because it was my first, and mm-hmm. usually your first time doesn't last eight hours, so...
1: <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, what What about you? Like, what What are you I, I know you're gonna l- say A Pirate's Life, right? Yeah, like,
1: I mean, it seems like such an obvious one, and it... it... In the grand scheme of all of Sea of Thieves, I would say that is my favorite one, but i you know there is so many magic moments for me over the years where it's like it's hard to say definitively um going to back to the hungering deep, like I have some really great memories with that one. um I played it with a couple of guys from the dev team from Rare that we had met at the studio, and you know it was a whole lot of fun, it was fun kind of hearing their reactions to interacting with the community and, you know, seeing the game functioning as as intended. Um, the whole mechanic of that, of carrying the tune and, you know, transferring it from somebody on the ground up to somebody on the ship because you couldn't play it climbing the ladder and having to find another crew to do it with you, all those things. Um, it really was a magic moment. It really did set a tone for... What they could do for events, what they could do for a live service game, and I, it it really it helped alleviate I think some concerns in maybe even the community as a as a whole because it demonstrated like oh you can do more than just dig up treasure and can and other ships you can you can work together and form an uneasy alliance and and get rewarded for it and make yeah. make friends along the way. Yeah. Um, going back to like the broader question of you know my favorite. Tall Tales adventures and stuff. Um for a really long time it was the the two Heart of Fire uh Tall Tales, right. the Pendragon saga as it began. Um I just I I loved the concept of each of them. Um the Pendragon one taking a mechanic that I liked from the original set of Tall Tales, with uh seeing little ghost animatics with a special lantern. Absolutely thought that was a cool storytelling mechanic and it was a really brilliant idea. Um, and then the Heart of Fire with the the trial of whatever you want to call it of going through the three paths. Oh, I took I, to... I
0: love that one. Um, God, I love it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh man. No, it was so special. And it was for me that was a, a turning point for the environment team, environment art team. Uh it really not that any of the other Environments weren't spectacular, Shores of Gold and everything from the first Tall Tale and, and the existing islands that we knew prior to that. Sure. But it it really, I don't know if it was just color palette with the glowing orange uh, magma rocks or whatever, I, they like crystallized magmas. I'm not sure what they even are, but... Um,
0: Jolly Ranchers.
1: Yeah, the, the fiery Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> um, it just, it was beautiful. It had new... Heat effects and fire effects, uh, all sorts of things from a technical standpoint and a a lore standpoint where we've, oh shit, we've brought Flameheart back and and what are we going to do now? You know, really set in motion a lot of stuff that's really still going today. Um, And so I've always held a special place for that kind of pair of tall tales. I really thought (laughs) after several months of nothing after Heart of Fire... um, I was really afraid that they just weren't getting a good return on investment from the Tall Tales where, you know, they were very high production, could have been released as as a single player game years ago. Uh, I was really afraid we weren't going to get any more Tall Tales. And I even, I wrote a, an editorial tweet. <laughs> if I, all my tweets should be, should be on Rare Gamer. That's maybe what I should start doing. Yeah. just, but, uh, just, just talking.
0: Yeah. I, Rare Gamer is going to outlast Twitter. So. Yeah,
1: no, that's for sure. Um, Talking about how I kind of thought maybe they've given up on it because it had been quite a while at that point. I can't remember the exact amount of time that passed, but more time than had passed between the previous ones, and so I was concerned. And then Rare goes and drops a pirate's life on us at the following E3, Uh and I I cried. I'm not gonna. I mean, not that I didn't cry at the studio or cry all the time. I'm a very emotional person, but
0: I think we're both empaths. Yep, yep. I tear up when i see a squirrel in the wild so like
1: I... <laughs> yeah i feel you no so yeah that e3 and it was so funny because my wife and i were staying at her parents house over that weekend for whatever reason it's not uncommon they have a a really nice property out in the countryside and we'd, we'll just go out there and hang out sometimes but um i was watching e3 on my switch uh, i just had the youtube up on my switch and then was tweeting on my phone live reacting but I was wearing headphones and it was just it was early in the morning just me and my father-in-law awake at that time he was sitting at the kitchen table reading the paper or something and I was over in the the living room on the couch and I had to like hold it in to not just start shrieking and jumping up and down <laughs> because that was what my reaction would have been had I not had to rein it in a little so yeah I was you know obviously you know and maybe most of the listeners don't or maybe they do but i i'm a huge disney fan as you mentioned earlier but i worked for disney for three years at disney world um and huge pirates of the caribbean fan fan big fan of the ride it's kind of one of my favorite rides at the parks and i, I love the film franchise although really mostly just the first one but
0: <laughs> oh i i watched all five of them in preparation for a pirate's life, and uh,
1: <laughs> I sure did too. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, of course I. I'm weird that I, I kind of like the fourth one. I I don't know.
1: I got, I need to rewatch it. I don't even remember the fourth. Or
0: creepy creepy or merpeople. Five or six. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. Yeah, I got to go back and rewatch those. So uh, I was I was absolutely beside myself, and I remember uh, just the amount of messages and tweets I got from people at Rare who told me like. Yeah, pretty much the entire time we were working on this, we kept thinking of you and what your reaction was going to be. And it was just, it was touching in a way to think that they were thinking of me while they were making it. It really meant a lot to me and uh, it was really cool. And uh, yeah, even stemming real quick from that, I I was actually at Disney World with uh, Chris Marlowe last November. Just we happened to both be there at the same time and met up and hung out. We couldn't do the parks. I would have loved to have ridden Pirates of the Caribbean with him, but it was cool to see him in a... Anyway, tangent, over.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, when I go on about how much I want TT as a ship trinket, they call me an idiot. <laughs> they
1: they love you. They adore you. Don't worry. Mm, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I want there to be more tall tales. my My biggest concern yeah. about the current adventure system is... They're not they're not being preserved, you know, they're uh, like it's
1: been hugely difficult. The the (laughs) Flameheart
0: saga, we've got the like anybody can experience the beginning of it. The first two the first two installments of it and then everything that's happened since then. Well, if you missed it. It, it's it's gone it's it's not in the right. game and you have to like, read
1: about it on wikipedia or something <laughs> you know. like
0: and i i like the hungering deep because it did feel like this um this event that you had to be there for and yeah you know i i still like my my pirate still bears the marks from that event literally because mm-hmm. i has the shark bite scar and the yep. tattoo that merrick gave him like that's still on my pirate you can't usually see it because my pirate usually has that jacket um over him but it's still part of his uh body and you know i probably will never change those but um once they added tall tales then i was like oh okay this is probably better because it's a way to keep it in the game for future players to always experience like the biggest beats of the game like and and now they're they've 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 kind of steered away from that except with the pirate's life where they brought you know the tall tale system back but i think just given the nature of the deal with disney and and everything you just want that in there but i'm sure, like yeah. oh yeah it's it's just a shame that some of the, some of these adventures are really cool and it's just a shame that they're um they're just time limited events
1: yeah but, you know no of of the adventures, my favorite one was absolutely the, uh, the shrouded ghost one, whatever that one was called, <laughs> um, where you kind of defend Merrick's new ship. And, uh, that one was, a lot of people struggled with it, struggled with getting people together on the server to do it. Um, and I know there, there was a lot of issues uh, throughout all of these adventures of mechanics, not playing out in the real world as they had intended. Yeah. Um, like the one where you go to the Sea of the Damned and the lighthouses—that
0: one. Oh was God, nice. yeah, but, yeah, that that uh, one was a little bit messy.
1: Yeah, the the magic moment of the shrouded ghost coming and the music for that one. But like you said, it's it's lost now to time, and I'm. It sounds like I feel like Mike Chapman has teased that they're looking into ways to kind of preserve them, but I don't know what that would be if it would be sailing through a a time portal because they have that portal system. They could set up dedicated servers to run these events and then you could just sail through this the portal hmm. to be placed onto a server that's running it
0: i wonder what um, i wonder what I character know. control time hmm.
1: yeah if only there was a yeah uh, <laughs> that's kind of brilliant i think that's what they should do <laughs> use your tt to travel through time
0: i uh yeah like uh I, I'm not. I'm not complaining, by the way. I, I do like the adventure system. Sure, no, but same. I, I just the lack of consistency from going to events to tall tales and then back to adventures, which are time limited. It just like I, I'm, I'm a day one. I mean, I'm a pre day one player, so it's not really much of a concern for me. But I'm always thinking about future players, and I want the game to be sure. evergreen. I want it to always have an audience. I want it to last forever. So right anyway uh now sea of thieves is also kind of a major step forward for rare in that well the viva pinata cartoon was the first time that an outside media adaptation was considered canon by rare or Mm -hmm. at least fully canon Mm -hmm. by rare because they worked in concert with four kids productions to make sure it fit the universe and they also then brought some things from the cartoon back into the games i think starting with trouble in paradise um or at least from Rare starting with Trouble and Paradise, I realized there was uh there was also Party Animals, which wasn't done by Rare, but you know. Um But with Sea of Thieves, we've had sort of uh a media team headed up by Adam Park, Pete Hence, Chris Alcock, among others, mm-hmm. who have ensured that the novels, comics, tabletop games, etc are all full-fledged extensions of the game itself. It's the Star Wars model of universe building as opposed to the Star Trek system, where in Star Trek, none of that stuff actually counts. It might have a continuity within the novels, but it will never be reflected in the shows themselves. They might take ideas from it, but it's never considered canon. This is considered canon. Like, everything matters. Mm -hmm. And so that that's been a new experience and of course we've also had this coincide with platonic doing the same with ukulele and the Cracklestone. so it's an era of oh now i just need to worry about more than games i have to worry about everything that's coming out because it's all part of the universe it's all canon (laughs) and so you know obsessively buying everything buying multiple copies one to read and and Potentially damage, and the other to stay pristine on your shelf. I know Amir. uh, I know Amir does that. Amir has to buy multiple copies because Amir like will thumb through the books and make notations, and you know, and so. But he has to keep one safe at least, or multiple copies. Yeah, I think he was talking about like having having one for like every room in the house. But (laughs) I'm not quite that bad, but I'm pretty close. So I, I was wondering, um, ha, have you read any of it?
1: Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I'm really bad at finishing books I start. Yeah. So I've read all three, but not completed all three. What, what, what all any three? any of the three.
0: Do you mean, uh, Sorry, the-
1: of the books, of the, oh, okay. the published novels, the, what's the, um, the first one was Tales from the Sea of Thieves and then Athena's Fortune and then Heart of Fire. Yeah. Um
0: tales from the sea of these wasn't a novel per se it was right yeah sort you're of right. A, it was like a
1: and, journal yeah it was an
0: in-universe sort of sort of ship log yeah yeah
1: and which even recounted our first ship battle um but yeah so like you know i uh, i struggle with keeping track of the lore definitely not as good as you guys and, and golden sands oh. and uh ancient isles university and such
0: there, there's too much lore i look because I I have to also keep track of the entire DKU as we know it. So right. <laughs> for me, like Sea of Thieves, the day-to-day grind of just keeping up with Sea of Thieves, I can't do it. I, I honestly no, can't do it. I rely much. on Jeff. I rely on Dre. Uh yep, exactly. and it's it's just it's just too much for me to keep track of. I'm like, wait, who's that character? Wait, I don't remember that character.
1: That's that's where I'm at. And so, you know, I, I'm an enjoyer of all those and those are those are the only three extended lore that i've gotten so like i don't have the the board game or um i think there was an insert with the soundtrack the vinyl i think but um i i of of all those i mean i don't know that i could pick one of those those three as my favorite i really enjoy chris's writing and so athena's fortune and heart of fire have been greatly enjoyable and uh i really need to sit down and finish reading those but um
0: for me um heart of fire is like hands down i think probably my all-time favorite genre tie-in novel like any fantasy or sci-fi tie into an existing property i it i love it i i think it's terrific from start to finish the Tales from the Sea of Thieves book is also just a wonderful thing. I, I, I'm yeah. still so in love with that because it's an actual, like, physical prop from the universe that's in your hands. And it's just like, oh, you know, the, the way the lore, the way the logic of this is supposed to go, this was actually in the Sea of Thieves. This has actually been passed down from Flameheart Jr. to... um to diving bell and you know and and so on and it's in my hands now how cool is that i i just really love the sort of um meta like nature of it and it's it was just a really fun thing to come out at launch when sea of thieves didn't have so much of that in the game it was kind of a nice way to really root your mind in the world of sea of thieves
1: Yeah, no, it it was a great supplemental piece to have at lunch, or yeah, it was at lunch Um, because like you said, it was, it was a little reference guide to one things to come or two things to kind of help build in your mind, the world around you and and why and how and the ancients and, and flame heart a little bit and all that. So it was, it was wonderful. And I will, I will agree now that I'm kind of thinking about it with heart of fire. Um, I love how Chris implemented, uh, things that players do in the game. Um, I can't think of a a specific thing, but like things that kind of became running gags, uh, maybe not running gags, but just sort of things that the general broader player base is aware of. Um, He he wrote those things into it. And I just, I I really, they stood out to me as I was reading it. And it's like, ah, (laughs) yeah, I know that's what I do or that's what people do versus I feel like that wasn't quite as much in the first one because a and, pretty sure he was writing it kind of closer to pre-launch than post-launch um even though it came out a little bit later uh you know there just wasn't as many established tropes of sea of thieves players you know and so it was, yeah it was great
0: for me heart of fire too it was the dichotomy of what we were talking about the the two ways people really experience the game the the hardcore streamer uh, method and then the way we like to play it, which was more in line with the Morningstar crew. So you know, I, I I always appreciate when that sort of split is recognized and sort of celebrated in universe. Because too often it's it's the streamer mentality that is the one that gets the most recognition. And so to have a whole novel that kind of played with that, it was just like, oh, I I feel validated finally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you know, talking a little bit about the characters, like one of my favorite characters in Sea of Thieves lore now, thanks to Heart of Fire, is actually Captain Eli Slate. Um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. he's my favorite original pirate character in the game. Um, in in in, in okay. the in the whole ecosystem, I think Salty, the uh, the former shopkeeper turned skeletal parrot. Is is probably the one that gets the biggest reaction from me, though. I I love how weird salty is. So it, it's probably the character in Sea of Thieves that gets the closest to just the 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 oddball weirdo degenerates who usually populate the DKU. So so yeah. salty really uh, speaks to me. He rings true.
1: Yeah, for me, it's uh it is Pendragon. Uh, mm-hmm. He's this optimist and do-gooder and just kind of out to to try and do right by the Sea of Thieves. And and I, unfortunately, I haven't read the comics with the extended uh, kind of look into his origin, I believe. Um, and so, I, again, that's kind of a blind spot in my my lore is all of the comics. I haven't really dug into those. But um, as far as his portrayal in-game and how he... Accidentally just keeps doing stupid things without, you know, by, by, by virtue of trying to do the right thing, it's just sort of like, oh yeah, that's me. I do, that's what I do. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I love, I love him. I love his performance as voice actor. Um, and just, uh, the fact that he is a reference to an old ultimate game right. character. And even further than that, I guess is a, lore like a long storied lore character what i'm not even sure if that's the same arthur pendragon from i lost my train of thought as far as it is is it is it is okay
0: yeah Yeah. cool from from the pendragon games yeah yeah and and they're actually going to be releasing the uh pendragon comics in a trade paperback uh soon they just released the uh the the first sea of thieves origins um mini-series in trade paperback, and, and they're they're going through all the okay. other digital issues, so... Um, I, I t- missed that. I <laughs> did no, realize you just, that was it, happening. That's yeah, awesome. You, you, sh- you should check out DK Vine, because I do news stories about it. <laughs> uh,
1: I sure should.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, read it on a regular basis. It's good for you. Uh So, that being said, I have to say, one of my favorite Sea of Thieves characters is my own pirate. I've really Ooh, grown attached yeah. to my pirate, and how he has progressed like as as a character because he's kind of evolved as the game world has evolved. I look I I've took screenshots of that pirate generator um when I on launch day March 20th 2018 and I look at that guy now and I look at where him today and he's he's almost unrecognizable and it's just fun that You can actually wear like five years of accumulated adventures and struggles and strife on your character. And I I wish they would add more to it because I feel like I guess with captaincy, you can have it like reflected on your ship. But I feel like there's not enough. Like once you get beyond the tattoos and the scars and other um, physical alterations there's not a lot you can do to really signify hey my my character has gone through this and gone through that but he cut his hair when he became a pirate legend
1: (laughs) nice mine's been bald the whole time to reflect myself speaking of i mean my my pirate character too is, is very near and dear and special to me and maybe even a little more so because he has his own existing lore in the game with the sea dog peg leg uh, it gave him a backstory that I would have never given him, but I have fully embraced and and I've only ever worn that that pig lake. Um, I hate that when you put on costumes in the game, it forces you to change that because mm. it feels like a betrayal to my character. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, keep dropping hints to any rare designer I can that, you know, you really have this character you should explore a little more. Uh <laughs> well that's for you
0: that's for you to do
1: well yeah but i i would love to see him as a significant part of a tall tale you know maybe he's referenced as you know the great experimenter of exploding kegs i don't know that's his lore anyway
0: meanwhile greg mail spelled my last name wrong
1: (laughs) Oh
0: no! No, it's a fine. It, it, I worked it into my lore. It's because my family changed their name because uh the, the association with piracy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That way, that way, the the government didn't get their money. The, the money that he made on the Sea of Thieves. I mean, it's all gone now. I'm a Donkey Kong journalist. But um, anyway, so <laughs> yeah, I, I also really like uh, Pepito Kong, my my oh, yeah. monkey companion who uh, fulfilled a longstanding uh, DK Vine joke about there being a character named Pepito Kong. And of course, there was this whole like it, it was a thought experiment. What if Rare created a character named Pepito Kong? But There is no like established Donkey Kong characters or any other DKU characters in the game. Would that game then be DKU if if Rare was making a game with a Papito Kong? And uh, because uh, we are both in the credits to see if thieves just special thanks, but (laughs) I was just like, well, I think that gives me some authority to say Pepito Kong is canonical. And so once once they put monkeys in the game. Uh, which they delayed because of the reaction To the game uh, at launch They completely re- changed their um, Schedule Because originally they were going to have the Emporium In the game much sooner And then right. they were like maybe we shouldn't have The, the paid content in the game When we're, we're Getting raked over the coals here We need to rearrange And I was just like no I want my monkey <sighs> Right. <laughs> but anyway, I got my monkey, and uh, I love Pepito Kong. He's he's uh, he's, a, he's a lovely, gross little fellow, but he's also secretly very intelligent. He's a spy from the rear archipelago, studying all the pirate comings and goings to the Sea of Thieves, and he's sending reports back to the faraway lands, of course, with the faraway lands, which is where Donkey Kong Jungle Beat took place, him being a capuchin, which is where the capuchins in the rear archipelago live. Right. Right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it <laughs> makes sense to me. I'm in the credits. You, you're gonna down me. <laughs> Speaking of the DKU and, and and rare in general, I feel like I need to bring this up because it's it's an opportunity to bring it up. Because Jeff Ren, Jeff Ren, you you and I are two of the biggest Danjo Kazooie fans in the world. I'll just say in the world. Uh, I would agree. I I know that's bold to make that proclamation, but come on! I mean, I, I I really do feel like very few people love banjo and kazooie as much as we do, and I don't think we should have to quantify that to anybody. But no, no. Do you ever, being being so visibly online in in the rare fandom in the rare community, do you ever encounter hostility? From some banjo kazooie fans, some banjo kazooie diehards for liking Sea of Thieves as much as you do.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's been, uh, <laughs> okay. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one.
0: I'm glad I'm um, not the only one.
1: It's been interesting because I my, my online presence as as part of the rare community kind of started in 2015. It really was actually the announcement of ukulele and then yeah, you the replay. You MCG's. actually joined the
0: DK Vine forum like yeah. shortly before. We will, I mean it was twenty fifteen wasn't it?
1: it sure was yep. yeah okay, it was that summer, yep, um, and I created my my Twitter account that same summer, and those are kind of that was my my two outlets to interact with rare fans um and what what I've come across in the years, and it started pretty bad back then, and like you said, this was the rebirth of rare fandom, so to speak, maybe um, I ran into a lot of people who were on that. That old mentality that, you know, all the good people left Rare and Rare's dead and Rare's a shell of itself and nobody good works there, yada yada. All the bullshit that people came up with because of certain YouTubers and et cetera. I mean, um, that, that had
0: been around since 2000 when uh, Free Radical formed, right? Which, like, I'm not – I'm not um, when when I, when I push back in his claims, it's not to talk down to the people who left the form Free Radical. They're very talented group of individuals, of course, but – to say, like, all the good ones at Rare left is such a misstatement when, when, like, wait, wait, who, who, because, because the implication is that everybody involved in Donkey Kong Country, Banjo Kazooie, you know, right, Conquer, like, they all left en masse. And I'm like, no greg Mails is actually still there you know who greg Mails is robin right. biedland is still there you know paul Makachev is still there like it just go down the list but it it doesn't even matter because it's it also implies like oh they haven't hired any good people in the last right. two that's, decades either
1: that's the bigger thing yeah and so initially when i kind of first became a part of the online rare community i ran into a lot of that and i would you know i'd argue with people and i you know, whatever. Why do you argue with people on the Internet? It's a waste of time. But at the end of the day, it it's such a disservice and such a discredit to the amazingly talented people who are there and the people who did pour their heart and souls right. into the Connect sports games, into everything since the acquisition and, and the whole time, all 30, whatever, seven, eight years we're into. Like... Yes, it's different. Every studio is different. And, you know, and like you said, Greg Males is still there. You you could say he was the driving creative mind behind Donkey Kong Country and Banjo. He is. He is. That's not like you could say. He is the the creative driving mind. Um, And so easy to counter argument people who talk shit about modern rare. Hmm. And it's like, well, okay, if you were to talk shit about modern Amblin Entertainment, Everybody who worked there in the eighties and worked on ET is gone, but Steven Spielberg's still there. John Williams still does the music for their movies, etc. And so it's like, if you can start drawing parallels to other media and be like, Oh yeah, I don't really know anybody except Steven Spielberg from Hamblin," And that's not to discredit that there hasn't been amazing people and whatever, but it's that so much can be derived from a creative leader. And I, you know, I, it, a lot of credit to the stampers for what they did when they were there. I think everyone speaks highly of their technical prowess and their understanding of the trending in the trends in games and what, you know, rare designs on the future. They'd always come up with a game that they think was five years ahead of where everyone else was. And they always have been, and they always are. And, you know, it's registered better with the fandom, with the greater gaming community, at different ways at different times, you know, they were, they set the trend for 3D platformers yeah, with, with Mario 64. And <laughs> and you could say they they maybe improved upon Nintendo designs for a, a slew of games there in the 90s, but they also revolutionized first-person games on consoles. So, like, you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff. And, and Sea of Thieves being a cooperative online game, there wasn't a lot of that. I mean, Left 4 Dead is the only other one that was prominently around prior to Sea of Thieves. Uh, everything else was still... Combat focused, you know, you had the the hero shooters was a big thing with, um, I can't remember what those, uh, are, but there's like two popular, three popular ones. Um, and then <laughs> the Destiny type games like that Bungie went on to do after Halo. And so, you know, again, see if these kind of set a new genre with a shared world adventure game. Right. All this to say, I've argued at a nauseam to, explain why modern rare is as good as old rare for different reasons and different ways. And yes, they're, they're using a third party engine instead of an internal engine. And is that better or worse? You know, all these different things. Um, But at the end of the day, um, yes, I run into a lot of banjo Kazooie fans who claim that rare is shit now and that they shouldn't even be allowed to touch banjo because they would just fuck it up versus Okay. But look at the other 3D platformers in the space. Even look at Ukulele. It wasn't a perfect game, and it. I love that team. I love all the people who worked on it, and it is a amazing game. But it it absolutely lacked Greg's design on levels, and um, not not gameplay specifically. The gameplay was great, but the uh, the moment to moment gameplay, I guess, is what I would call it. It hmm. just, I to me, it lacked Greg's touch, and that hurt it. Not to say it needs him, and that they can't do amazing things. Because look at Impossible Layer right, was absolutely right. on par with the D K C two in my eyes. So like, yeah, um, all of that <laughs> coming back. No, I, uh, I, I, yeah.
0: I, I got you. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping up.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I face that a lot with with Banjo fans, and I feel like they've started to come around as as uh, Sea of Thieves has proven itself to be a mainstay and and has thirty million players and has. Yeah a dedicated community i think a lot of them are like okay yeah you know and and banjo and smash helped and and the merchandising both helps and hurts because people are like oh well they'll merchandise it but they'll never make a game like okay but don't make a game just for the sake of making a game it has nothing to do with like yeah
0: it's right they'd be
1: just as pissed if there was no merchandise be like oh they forgot about it entirely so you know they're, they're doing something to appeal to the fans and people find a way to make it a negative
0: the thing that always comes back to me is is people are like they're 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 just doing the merchandise, and if you support the merchandise, we'll never get a new game. And like, right? What? Yeah. What? No. <laughs> what? Like, I, yeah. I I don't even know how that math adds up, but may- maybe it's just the very notion of the DKU insulates me. Yeah, immunizes <laughs> me from this mentality, or maybe it's just because I'm old now. I'm old in comparison to to so much of 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 the rest of the online discourse i have been around the block uh i i have been put away ragged and wet i i but (laughs) people forget that what sea of thieves represents to them vis-a-vis a a new banjo kazooie game meaning the thing Mm -hmm. that's keeping them from a new banjo kazooie game it's Exactly what Banjo-Kazooie and Conker's Quest slash 12 Tales once represented to me as a mm-hmm. Donkey Kong fan. Right. Because when Banjo-Kazooie and Conker's Quest were announced at E3 1997, I thought, they're doing this instead of a Donkey Kong game? How do they? yeah. and 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 i experienced the very same reaction a lot of these people uh feel towards sea of thieves and of course it was ridiculous you know i fully copped to as ridiculous it was a learning lesson for me and of course it was made good immediately like like uh couple months later when diddy kong racing was revealed and oh hey here's here's diddy kong's game and oh yeah we're using this to introduce banjo and conquer yeah <laughs> uh so so you can embrace banjo kazooie and conquer now they're part of the dku and i was just like here we go we're off to the races what else is going to be dku this is my life now but um <laughs> i i think it's ridiculous especially and I'm not discounting people's feelings and and if they're if they just can't get on board with Sea of Thieves if the constantly online experience if they always present threats of another player coming in and ruin your day if that's too much for you I completely get that Sea of Thieves is not for you um but you know we we have a time where we do have platonic existing and mm-hmm. and they're giving us Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country-style games, the latter of which was yes. phenomenal, and mm-hmm. I think should dispel... We talked about all the criticisms Sea of Thieves got at launch. I think Impossible Layer should dispel any criticisms ukulele laylee got. Was, oh, yeah, Platonic is capable of making a five-star Absolutely. modern classic. So we we are in good hands all around these days. And we do have other studios doing legacy Rare franchises like Killer Instinct, Battletoads, and Perfect Dark, some of which had, you know, oversight from people at Rare, even got the Rare logo on the game. So, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of when and not if we're going to get another Banjo-Kazooie game, especially in light of Smash, especially in light of the enduring popularity of the franchise who you know they, they haven't had a new game since 2008 they haven't had a new game that's been received universally <laughs> well since 2000 and and some people will argue me on, on that and say well banjo Tooie was trash and you know we're gonna go back to 1998 <laughs> then but yeah. my point being is we're going to get another Banjo-Kazooie game and this isn't insider knowledge this isn't me's you know speaking some hidden truth. This is just common sense. It's... I've been around long enough now to know how things work. And, mm-hmm. you know, Sea of Thieves has no relation to Banjo-Kazooie. All Sea of Thieves has done is sh- ensured that Rare is sticking around. Like, Rare's right. not going anywhere. Really, That was yeah. a big question mark at the beginning of the 2010s. Will Rare still be around in 10 years? And now... That's no longer a question. We can talk about how long Everwild's taking, but hey, it doesn't really (laughs) matter because they have Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is a... So long as that's raking in money for Xbox Studios and Microsoft, well, I don't think Rare is in any dire straits. So the longer Rare is around, the more chance we will have of a new Banjo-Kazooie game. Whether or not, you know, Greg has anything to do with it or not, who knows, but... As I said back when Sea of Thieves was announced and this discourse really started happening is, you know, I don't want Rare, especially Greg, to be forced to make a Banjo-Kazooie game if they legitimately have no ideas for a Banjo-Kazooie game. Like, if it's not a passion project, I don't want to force them to make sequel after sequel. And Greg's always operated this way. He gave Always, up. Yeah, he gave up Donkey Kong Country after Donkey Kong Country Two. He gave up Banjo Kazooie after Banjo Tooie. I mean, it's it's just the way his mind works. Like he he'll make the original game and then he'll do the sequel where he gets in all of those ideas that didn't work or he you know couldn't quite finish. Yeah, yeah, and then he moves on. And as much as that kind of sucks as a fan of his and a fan of the properties he creates, I get it. I respect it. And That's not to say I don't think another team of people couldn't make an amazing Banjo-Kazooie game. I have heard some wonderful pitches for Banjo-Kazooie and recently, like I, I have heard some fantastic takes where were like, yeah, fans would love that. And whether or not anything comes from it, I don't know, but I, I think like Banjo-Kazooie will happen and it'll happen relatively soon. And, I think you can be a fan of Sea of Thieves and that is not some sort of like black mark against your Banjo-Kazooie fandom. I shouldn't be, fo- we shouldn't be forced to turn in our Banjo-Kazooie fandom cards for also really loving Sea of Thieves. I, I just, I just wanted to clear the air there and be like, hey, I'm going to keep talking about Sea of Thieves here on The Conversation. We're going to keep covering it on dk vine i'm sorry (laughs) we can coexist (laughs) they're not at odds with they take place in the save shared world people like i i know you don't want to see that but it's right there in C of (laughs) the
1: yeah i think people get so hung up on also just ownership of a studio and and you know it it being rare and it being like, well, the good people left rare, like to me in my head, and, and, you know, this is just going against what capitalism is, but like, <laughs> and, and not to discredit any of these studios as their own entity, but like having platonic, having free radical, having mm-hmm. licensing out stuff to, you know, the initiative and the la la, et cetera. like, It's just like rare having the barns back in the day where you've got different development teams working on different properties, whether they're actually owned by rare or if they're spiritual successors. I don't care. Like it's the people and their brilliance that I love. And that's what I always try to tell people. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm a, a super biased rare fanboy. Okay. But it's like, if rare stopped existing tomorrow, I'd still be a fan of the people. And that's what I always try to, to, Emphasize, you know, it's like I'm a, I'm a fan of the school of Stamper. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the, the design values that especially, uh, Tim, but you know, both of them, uh, instilled in their teams that carried on really helped shape my gaming life and, and just a lot of, honestly, a lot of the industry. Again, as I mentioned earlier, some of the, the, the trailblazing they did. Um And so I just, I try to keep that in my mind and try to tell people, like, hey, take a step back, take a breath, it's okay. Like, you're not getting a new Banjo game, but you're getting awesome platformers from a lot of the people that worked on it. It doesn't have to be Banjo and Kazooie, which as much as I love Banjo and Kazooie, mm-hmm. Yuka and Lele are just as amazing characters, and had they come out in 1998, I would be the biggest fan of that. You know, it's just... Yeah comes comes down to your formative years and all that. So
0: it really does. Yeah. And and like I said, I think that's important. Like this, the sort of like social Darwinism that everybody works himself into when it comes to being a fan, just like, you know, you can be a fan of modern rare and platonic at the same time. I mean, I do it. I walk the walk. It's, it's not that complicated. You're not a bad platonic fan for liking rare. You're not a bad rare fan for liking platonic it's stupid it's stupid it is is. (laughs) i mean (laughs) life is too short like what you like and and don't give the time of day to the stuff you don't like if you if you really genuinely don't like sea of Thieves, that's fine but don't hold it against anybody else and
1: and a willingness to accept when there's flaws like yeah as much as i love the stampers and i love old rare and 90s rare they had shitty work ethic they oh yeah did so much over time They didn't do credits. Like, that is so fucked up. Like I yeah. could go on and on about it. But it doesn't sure. matter and because
0: they they I I don't think they really were set up to evolve for what modern gaming became, which was immediately clear when they joined uh Microsoft and mm-hmm. they they couldn't really adapt to what gaming was becoming and really couldn't until Sea of Thieves. And I think Platonic being set up the way it is as an indie studio, that is the niche to keep making games like they used to make and it, and it works perfectly well, but when you have all these expectations placed on you as a prominent pillar of your, you know, first party, you know, ecosystem of studios, then you got to make something like Sea of Thieves which they finally did. But anyway, yeah. Right. All that yep, being yep. <laughs> said, you you yeah, shades of gray, you know, you can look at the flaws and still be like, yeah, I still like it, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no harm in it. Um, So that being said, all of that being said, Jeffren, where the hell is Captain Black Eye in the game? Mm. Now, okay, okay, I don't (laughs) want to come across as entitled, especially when I've been trying to get TT in the game, and, and especially now as a ship trinket, for the last five years, but... One, one of the most thrilling parts of that initial reveal at E3 2015 was the misconception that was actually spurred on by Greg uh, yeah. tweeting on Twitter uh, <laughs> that Captain Black Eye was going to be a featured character in some fashion in Sea of Thieves. And he has factored in very minorly to the lore because he's been mentioned by an NPC, uh, Cecil who is the uh who runs the clothing shop on Golden Sands outpost. I don't know if they've changed the dialogue since it became New Golden Sands, but I know uh Cecil mentioned that his the owner of the clothing shop was Black Eye. So, uh anyway, uh your pirate can also intercept a parcel sent by Captain Black Eye to Jolly Roger and Flameheart Jr has a direct encounter with Captain Black Eye in the Tales from the Sea of Thieves book. So, you know, he has sort of appeared on the peripheral of everything, uh, not actually physically appeared, but he has, you know, been on the sidelines in the shadows. And Greg, of course, did sail as Captain Black Eye. Right. Uh, at least for a bit when the game launched, but it was more him claiming his pirate character as Captain Black Eye than them modeling Captain Black Eye putting him in the game and having Greg go nuts with him. <laughs> so the, the lore is clear that Sea of Thieves is a prequel to the rest of the shared rare universe. And the the reason we consider Sea of Thieves to be DKU, the thing that got it over the threshold officially was Greg sailing as Captain Black Eye. But we also have the Pepito Kong rule as a fallback. Uh, so my monkey makes a DKU. If, if that doesn't count <laughs> the first thing, but You know, I I know a percentage of Sea of Thieves players who don't care about, you know, earlier rare lore is probably much higher than those who do. But I I would still say it, it would be a huge, huge missed opportunity. And in my opinion, a significant blow if they don't take it. And... You know, it would be one thing if Sea of Thieves was just comprised of original characters with no ties to earlier, rare, and ultimate projects. But, as you already mentioned, Sir Arthur Pendragon is in the game, and the crew of the Black Witch also appear. And, you know, it's a relatively reliable, reoccurring part of the, the, the lore of the ongoing narratives of Sea of Thieves. So when does the Project Dream crew get their due? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I am waiting for Captain Black Eye, and I know TT has kind of become my mantra, my rallying cry. But honestly, you got to get Captain Black Eye in there at some point, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crazy, right?
1: You're not crazy. I mean, not in this sense. Uh, <laughs> but no, like, I why wouldn't they? And and I can't believe they haven't. So it's just it's interesting to me that greg was kind of so coy and teasing it early yeah, on yeah. and that it didn't really stick and you know maybe some of that has to do because he did hand the reins over to mike chapman uh it was i think october of 2017 when mike took over as the creative director um, and greg kind of let him continue on um so maybe partially that you know it's not as personal to Mike since he, would, he didn't work on Project Dream. Although Mike's as big of a, a long-term rare fan as you and I are. So yeah, I, uh, I remember
0: grilling Mike Chapman first time I got him in my sights, which is hard because he's so tall. But uh, <laughs> I uh, I was like uh, you know we, we were talking and he said you know he was going on about Donkey Kong Country too and I was like yeah yeah but you know obviously like you know I I don't want to say like captain black eye is essential for them to tell their story because he's not but i think it would just mean so much for those That's of us really who, it. um yeah like not even just being a banjo kazooie fan but just being a fan of the history of rare and it's, knowing exactly. knowing where black eye came from which was dream and you know i, I always go on about how the dreadfully evil um my crew's galleon in Sea of Thieves, which you sail on quite a bit. I've been on there. Yeah. Uh, it has the Baron Bird figurehead as its figurehead, and it has the explicit reason for us sailing with that figurehead is when we encounter Black Eye in the game. You could conceivably make it so when he tells the story in Banjo Tooie about how <laughs> a bear stole his glory, yeah, he's actually referring to that figurehead absolutely which of course the figurehead is modeled after the cave painting by the ancients because the ancients foresaw banjo and kazooie and they would tell tales about it so in some it, it comes full circle so so the figurehead that has caused black eyes so much uh, <laughs> drama in his life is actually modeled after banjo and kazooie he just doesn't realize it banjo and kazooie don't realize it i really love the the, the symmetry of all of that
1: Yeah, no, that's perfect. I mean, it'd be be such a perfect tall tale to have it, even if you encounter Black Eye and his crew, and then the bear and bird of the ancients. uh, Either he's on a quest to discover, I don't know, something, and then at the end of it all, they steal his glory. Could could be... Spectacular if done correctly. I don't know. Yeah,
0: and I don't even need him to be like a major, major character. Like, obviously, he's never going to matter to the game like uh, the Gold Hoarder, Flame Heart. He um, doesn't even need to be an antagonist, really, but just just something you know they should just
1: put him upstairs in all the taverns and have him run the same lines from <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh so it just happened he's been on this he's just been
1: sitting there for hundreds of years yeah he, he
0: we, we thought it like the 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 big circumstances that he's referring to in Tui he happened in sea of thieves no it actually happened in a much earlier adventure than it happened before sea thieves <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually we're gonna get something from that time frame and he's there still talking about you know, just, right. yeah right yeah just keep passing the buck to future generations of rare devs yeah i like yep. that yep. i like that yep. too but yeah um obviously <laughs> yeah. like i i Think Black Eye needs to get in the game, and and thankfully we're mm-hmm. here at the five year anniversary mark and see if these show no signs of slowing down. No, so, not even a little. So you know we we still it's not like we're running out of time. Like oh the servers shut down in a month. Where's Captain Black Eye? We have time, but it is surprising because I would have thought it would have happened at least by you know 2020. You know <laughs> like maybe, yeah, I kind of thought so know. too.
1: I thought it was an inevitability, but yeah. yeah. Hopefully it still is. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so I I guess starting to wrap things up here because, you know, we, we, we talk about Sea of Thieves so much that it's, it's really hard to be concise, especially as it's still ongoing. We, you know, talk about all of these anniversary episodes we do here on the conversation. This is the first one where the game is still alive we're still in the middle of not even in the middle of (laughs) who knows, you know, who knows, um, the sea legs this thing has, but they probably ask you this, Jeffrin, while you were at rare. But when we were doing exit interviews, um, our last day there, they would take us aside, um, and and I, I think they were trying to gauge some more opinions of how we felt about it as we were leaving, but also probably to get sound bites that they could use if they wanted to in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, because hey, hey, these real genuine rare fans, they they <laughs> really like this. They really have this to say about it. Of course, then we were accused of being fake paid YouTubers <laughs> because n- nobody knows what rare fandom is. Um, right. <laughs> so they they asked me. Um, If Sea of Thieves felt like a rare game. And that stuck with me for some reason. Because clearly this was a studio that was a little bruised and battered. Not just after the Kinect Sports years. After all of the instability at the studio. The huge question mark. I mean, look at Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, we talk about it. It almost came across as a funeral pyre, like for rare, like just the humor in the game was very self deprecating. Like, this is, this is our last game, probably. This is the end of the road for us as a studio. And so they knew what they had in some sense with Sea of Thieves, but they wanted to really ask the most hardcore of the hardcore, who got this invitation to go to Rare or who won it, you know, who, uh, who earned that opportunity. And that, that question really stuck with me. And I think I keep coming back to it every time I play Sea of Thieves, because the answer is yes, it truly does. Because, you know, the biggest difference between the last five years of having Sea of Thieves and everything beforehand you know, everything before Rare Replay was announced, before Sea of Thieves was announced at E3 2015, is since Sea of Thieves has launched, we have had a constant living Rare game. A Rare game for half a decade. And that has been the biggest game changer for me since I have become a Rare fan in 1994. Because it used to be you you would play Donkey Kong Country and you're like I can't wait for the sequel and then you hear about Donkey Kong Land and Donkey Kong Country 2 and you're like oh boy oh boy oh boy and then you play those and you're like I can't wait for the sequel and then they announce Donkey Kong Land 2 and Donkey Kong Country 3 and you 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 play those and you're like oh I can't wait to see what's coming next <laughs> and then they announce yeah. Banjo-Kazooie and Conqueror's Quest and you're pissed
1: but then they <laughs> right. announce
0: Diddy Kong Racing and then all of a sudden you have a shared universe and you get those games, and you're like, I can't wait for the sequel. I can't wait to see what else is DKU. But it's always this thing of feed be more. You know, I I yeah. my appetite needs to be satiated here. And since Sea of Thieves has come out, at least as far as Rare goes, obviously Donkey Kong, Platonic, that's a different story. But as far as mm-hmm. Rare goes, I'm no longer wondering... What's next? I'm no longer fretting about it. I'm no longer obsessing about what comes next. Yeah, I want Everwild to escape the, uh, development hell it seems to have found itself in. And yes, of course, I want a new Banjo Kazooie game. I, I'm only human. I'm not made of stone like Banjo was. You're no
1: stony. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. But Sea of Thieves has allowed me to escape into Rare's shared universe every single week with my friends who live around the world mind you
1: <laughs>
0: and it's always a new experience and it's it's like i said it's my number 2 favorite game of all time right behind donkey kong country 2 and honestly if this was all rare ever did from now until the end of time i don't think i would be that upset about it because i'm not left wanting if if sea of thieves if they keep the servers going i i'm i'm kind of happy and content and that's odd as a rare fan even even five years on (laughs) that is an odd feeling to have
1: agreed yeah it's it's been interesting kind of seeing them run this live service game and like you i mean everything you just said like i i always knew rare as the do two games and then come up with something new try this genre then try this genre and so it is interesting kind of having this game that's its own genre but it's it introduces enough new things and variations on things that it it constantly feels like it's it's moving forward and so like you know having the tall tales introduced really got the uh scratched that itch if you will of wanting a big narrative from rare i love rare story games you know the the cameos and the i, I I'd argue banjo is, even if it isn't. Um, <laughs> uh, so just having these stories and these characters and fully voiced out and acted out and just big epic mu- music moments and battles and all that, all that stuff together has really satisfied that for me. And, and, you know, I, like I said earlier, having those outside studios working on adjacent or actual rare properties still satisfies that other Part of me that does want those things, and, and, you know, even having two teams now with Everwild and, uh, knowing that that's there and knowing that there's still incubation happening, there's still other things like, you know, we kind of touched on it, but like, we don't actually know what Greg Mail's next game is because he did sort of step back from Sea of Thieves in 2017, uh, assumedly, and, and, I assume he started early work on something at that point, and he did uh, – it was at least reported that he was pulled into uh, Everwild for a little bit after the creative director left, but they they did hire a new creative director about a year ago, so – you know, it, what is he up to? So we've got that to look forward to and who knows if or when or, you know, if it'll be back to the drawing board and maybe he's given up on it. I've got plenty of theories on that, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's fun to, it's fun to at least still have that where we're getting this live service game that's constantly updated, constantly giving us all these new things that we would want out of rare. And then we've still got the speculation of Everwild and the speculation of what Greg Males is working on. So to me, I'm, I'm still. Loving where they're at. I think it's uh, never been a better time to be a, a Rare fan.
0: Hey, speaking of time, I've got an idea. This has been a File 2 production.
1: Okay, what's your idea?
0: Oh, that, that was my jokey ending. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs>